This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. Thank you for listening to Prophetic Politics. This is Thabiti Anyabwile. I want to make you aware of something special that's happening and invite you to come. March 5 through 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020, we'll be having a national conference in Alexandria, Virginia. That's March 5 to 7, 2020, in Alexandria, Virginia, at Delray Baptist Church. Our theme this year is Pilgrim Politics. So if you've been interested to listen to prophetic politics, and you've been encouraged by what you've heard in turn, in, in tone, in substance, come to Just Gospel 2020. We're going to be thinking about what it means to be Christians, particularly what it means to be pilgrims who are passing through this world, who have a prophetic political concern for the things that are happening to our neighbors, the things that are happening to our country, uh, and who are trying to think how to bear faithful witness um, in, in, our, in our local situations, in our national situations, and so on. So if you want more of this, more of this conversation, if you feel like this is an area of discipleship where you want to grow, need to grow, uh, as I do, March 5 to 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020, Pilgrim Politics, Healing Conversations About Christians and Politics in Alexandria, Virginia. Come to our website, justgospelconference.org, justgospelconference.org, and find more information. We'd love to have you there. Hey, we might even tape an episode of Prophetic Politics, and you can join us. God bless you. This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Sabidi Anyabwile. And I am Ben Brophy. The Radio Voice is back. <laughs> radio Voice is back. So um, we're going to take on another uh, heady topic, um, which is a uh, big word, epistemology, which is the study of how we know what is true. How do we know what is real and what isn't? So re- really, this is an episode about truth and the nature of truth. Um so we might ask, why is this even an issue, right? Isn't, isn't there truth that we can trust? Um, and yet, I, I think I was thinking about, like, why is this an issue, particularly when we talk about politics? It's because fundamentally, in politics, all of us have an incentive not to tell the truth. And depending on what team we're on, uh, if we're on a team, we have an incentive to believe the things our team says and to not believe the things um, another team might say. And so the more our politics is tribal and polarized the more we will want to believe certain things and not believe other things. So I think that's kind of why we're talking about it. Um, and we, we don't have too much by way of introduction, but um, you know, we can talk a little bit about why, a little bit more about why it's an issue. Well, that's good, man. So uh, walk us through, set us up. Uh, how does this issue show up um, in our politics today? Why are we concerned about this as Christians with a view to politics? Yeah. So there are two things um, I think I would, um, I, I'd point out. One is kind of this area of, journalism and news and how we even learn about what's happening in politics. Um, so all of us, I think, when we were growing up, if you learned about journalism, um, you were raised with this idea that, you know, journalism is about reporting the truth. If you report the news, the point of what you're doing is to try to help other people understand what's going on and really uncover that. Uh, we talk about investigative journalism, journalism that's about investigating and finding the truth about a current event. Um, in the mid-20th century, this was particularly true. 
right? You have an era of uh, kind of mass media, but limited mass media. Um, so you so think you only have three television, three sort of big uh, television stations on the news, um, a limited number of radio stations, and um, a limited capacity to print. There are barriers to sort of entering this industry. There are only a few players. So those few players have an incentive to have a really wide audience. And so this standard grows up around, well, we're going to do, do sort of relatively objective journalism that doesn't offend anyone, uh, and which, um, uh, which kind of tries to get at the truth, right? Not sort of partisan for one thing or another, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, the interesting impact of that, of course, is that because we all trusted those sources, we all believed those sources, we were all kind of in the same conversation about what is real. Um, well, that's not really true anymore. Um, there is so much more information out there now in the digital age. And media is really fragmented. There are lots of cable news channels, lots of different sort of news outlets. Um, uh, critically, in the age of the internet, lots of websites that sort of publish news of one sort or another. Um, and then social media is its own micro source of news. It'll link to those larger websites, but it'll also kind of spread information in and of itself. A Facebook post is a news article. A, tw a tweet can be a piece of news. Um, what that creates is it's no longer prof necessarily the most profitable strategy if you're a news outlet to try to reach as broad an audience as possible. What you do need to do is reach a, a specific audience and hold on to them. Um, so it could be profitable, could be really profitable to sort of lie to a specific group of people and invest them in believing that lie. Um, or at least your version of the truth, your version of the facts. Um, <clears throat> alongside that, what you've got then is news reporting is a thing but so too and growing is this idea of opinion journalism or opinion analysis where really you're not making a claim to sort of be unbiased. You're saying this is what I think. A lot of viewpoint journalism happening. Um, so people share their opinions and many times because of the incentives of politics, those opinions stretch the truth or they are lies in and of themselves. Um, so that's kind of the state of journalism. Ben, was there anything else you wanted to say about that in terms of like how we think about news and kind of what's out there in what we consume by way of political media? I think that was a good overview. I think the sheer volume of stuff is is hard to take in. I think the other thing, and, and you got at this a little bit, but with I think social media in particular is when a news event happens, um, a lot of people, particularly in the Beltway, will run to Twitter. And depending on how you line up ideologically, you start to interpret reality <coughs> in a certain lens. And then that becomes the person reading the social media their lens for interpreting it instead of instead of trying to directly consume mm. actual reality right so right. it used to well you know famously i think reform folks say no one talks to you more than you right i think that's a paul trip thing and that, that's that's Whoa. true first time i heard that one really Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> it sounds very paul trip it is uh but i think what we're in on politics and social media we're we're starting to let other voices talk to us in interpreting these events yeah. Before we interpret them ourselves. So the, the spin is, is like pre-baked into the information as it comes. And I think that that really is confusing. Yeah. Well, well, that's where I wondered if your word choice were hmm. intentional or not. You, you began sort of framing us by taking us in some ways back to the sort of halcyon days of journalism mm -hmm. with three networks and, and sort of trusted uh, network anchors. And, and you, you said that the, the purpose of this news was to sort of get the truth right, to report the truth. The way I grew up hearing that was, is the facts. 
And I think that's important because huh. I think. Um, well, you were there, Thabiti, so. <laughs> man, Nick is <laughs> relentless on the old guy <laughs> jokes. He's full of old guy jokes today. I don't know what's going on, man. That's okay, though. I'm, I'm, com- I'm, I'm comfortable in Christ with who I am. And I may be closer to meeting Jesus than you, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's positive. <laughs> uh, no, so, I, you know, just the facts, man. Sure. Um, you know, and and that that I, I think the the substitution of those two words is um, interesting and important because uh, facts, if they're facts, aren't the kind of things that are sort of variable, right? But mm. but truth, I think, for most people today, carries with it this notion of perspective or spin uh, or even tribal loyalty. So truth begins to be mm. something that's narrated. Um, in a way that's different from a reporting of the facts, and and for me, that I think is like the one of the biggest changes in journalism in the last forty years, fifty mm. years. Um, so that again, we had journalists who were who were really trusted for getting the facts right and just mm-hmm. really relaying to you the facts of the story. And now almost every network is committed to what you call here kind of opinion journalism and and, kind of entertainment journalism um, rather than getting the story right. And I I think, too, what you're also seeing, regardless of of what viewpoint you're you're landing on, is you then attack the other viewpoint as what is their bias? What Mm -hmm. is their... Like mm-hmm. g- end game here. What are they trying to accomplish? Like, there's a sense in which like that whole kind of deconstructionist idea applied to media figures is is also unhelpful because it it immediately seeks to tear down any assertion made by another perspective, not by view of what's happening in reality, what are the facts, but rather because well that must be wrong because you're a Democrat or you're a mm-hmm. Republican or whatever whatever it is. It's your whatever you know bias you have, which we all have biases. But if you have any sort of bias, then what you're saying is not evaluated for its objective truth, yeah. but rather you're on the wrong side. Therefore, you are wrong. Yeah, I, I do think that is a kind of a major problem uh, now, right? And I think that's an interesting point about facts and truth. To be, I'm reminded of. Um, if you, I don't know if either of you ever watched the Colbert Report back when it was oh, yeah. on TV. Loved it. Like that was the season premiere. I mean, they literally the series premiere, and you know he invented the word truthiness. Yeah. Right. That was kind of a famous touchstone. It was like 13 years ago now, yeah. and he talked about how you know it's about news that feels right. I'm gonna feel the news at you was sort of his <laughs> quote, uh, and um, and I do think that you're right. That's kind of the direction that sort of journalism, opinion journalism, and political commentary have gone in. Um, I'll add one more dimension to this, and then we want to hear kind of the biblical perspective, which is to say, when Christians use the word truth, right, we often talk about it in terms of sort of the struggle against postmodernism, right? We talk about it in terms of, um, you know, is do people even acknowledge there is such a thing as truth in the broader kind of metaphysical sense? So facts, I, I would agree with you, Thabiti, like that's people, I think people still think there's such a thing as facts, and we ought to try to discover them, and they lament that we might not be able to discover them. Whether there's such a thing as like worldview truth in sort of a postmodern society, well, that's a more debatable proposition. But I do think that is important because it asks the question, therefore, how does our worldview as Christians kind of collide with the worldviews of others in the public square? Um, with the worldviews of others that are different, right? So in a strict sense, you might say, I've got my worldview. The worldviews of everybody else are not the same as mine. To the point where I actually would say, because I know biblical truth, I believe their worldviews are wrong, 
right? And then how do you sort of coexist in a public space with someone whose worldview is different? I think that's a fundamental tension as well. Um, how do you hold truth, but have it not feel like, well, you're holding on to your truth and that's good for you, <laughs> right? I actually think that's a fundamental tension that exists as well. Um, and um, so yeah, so both of those things kind of come together as we're thinking about like what is what is real, what is true, um, what are facts and what are not. I, I think I suppose one of the things I worry about as a Christian and a pastor in that in that sort of um, situation you're describing, Nick, is I sometimes wonder if if Christians in their in their jousting against a kind of postmodernism, a kind of mm-hmm. uh, relativism and things of that sort in, in defense of an objective truth, mm-hmm. have also lost the ability, um, if they haven't become sort of anti-perspectival in that, right? Mm. So in other words, um, and here's where I think facts <laughs> are really, really important, right? So if, if when I think about truth, I, I think about that statement or set of statements that, that best explains the, the, the preponderance of facts. Sure. Right? There's a yeah. kind of coherence theory, right? mm-hmm. a, a notion of truth there. Um, if, if, you, if you sort of drop the facts, mm-hmm. then, then all you're kind of left with is sort of dogmatic claims about this is true because it's what I believe. Mm. Right? And which just make that, that context of engaging with other worldviews really, really difficult. Right. Then it's like all I need is my worldview. All I need is my worldview. I don't, I don't really need evidence. I don't really need facts. And in addition, um, the particular perspective I have on this issue is the only one that's true. Mm. Right. So I, just to use an example, um, the way different people look at events in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, really different perspectives on what 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 was happening with the police and that young man with Michael Brown, right? Mm-hmm. Facts began to come out. Some supporting one side, some facts supporting other sides. Um, at best, what we did was privilege the facts that we like, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. folks who were like, you know, there's systemic things happening here, took the DOG report that documented some of those things that, that okay, this is what really yeah. matters. Uh, folks who said, no, actually, the, the hands up, don't shoot narrative is false. Here are the facts from the coroner reports that, at best we do is sort of privileged facts and then we sort of refuse to say actually a fuller statement of the truth is probably going to have some different angles on it. Mm-hmm. More than one thing can be true at the same time. Uh, and, I, and I worry that Christians have lost the ability um, to complexify situations, to, to accept complexity, to say, hey, when you turn the diamond, you know, there, there are different facets of light that come through. Mm. Um, and, and all of that's in some more comprehensive statement of truth can be. And yeah. and that can be true without saying, hey, I'm succumbing to relativism or, su- yeah. or subjective. This is quite important. Things. This yeah. is quite important. So I mean, to to uh, uh, to cite, if I think about like, uh, if I think about Al Mohler's podcast, mm-hmm. I think about like, the, what's the tagline on that, right? It's kind of an analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And I think on the one hand, I would tell you, I think, there's obviously a need for that. I want to be like, okay, what's my worldview and how does that help me think about this? But I think you're right that at its worst, the worldview is a filter or a blinder Mm -hmm. rather than something that elevates and helps you get a fuller understanding of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't excuse you from considering the facts at hand. Mm -hmm. And I do think that sometimes when people, I have not going to say this about Al, but in general, when people say, oh, well, I'm coming at this from a Christian worldview, it can sometimes mean 
I already know what the answer is, mm-hmm. and I'm not interested in hearing what you have to add to that. Mm-hmm. I do think that's an issue. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I think when we're talking about truth here and we're talking about uh, in this political context, I think we want to build our notion of what's true from the facts up, from mm-hmm. the data up, rather than from our sort of mm-hmm. um, tribe or presupposition or whatever down. Yeah. Um, you mean in terms of figuring out what's real on from the media or from public policy? Yeah, both. Yeah, okay. I think yeah. I think that's true. It's yeah. quite difficult, um, actually. Um, yeah. So, Thabiti, let's 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 talk about sort of what the Bible has to say about this. How should how, what is the, how does the Bible anchor us in thinking about our approach to facts and then our approach to truth? Well, we're we're it's interesting. We're talking about this in terms of you frame this in terms of journalism. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're news people. We're good news people. You know, mm. uh, we're truth people. Yeah. Uh, so we ought to have some real uh, passion about these things. Five quick statements. And again, I think you could maybe peel this onion in different ways. But uh, five quick things. God, number one, God has created a universe where truth can be known. Yes. Right. Uh, and that's because the universe isn't deceptive. It's observable and testable. Uh, that's the only reason feels like science can exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, built on tests, retests, observation, and so on. Well, it's because that's the, the nature of the universe that we inhabit. Um, and again, this is what makes facts really important because they begin mm-hmm. to sort of help us draw reliable conclusions about the, the world the way it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's made a universe that, where truth can be known. Number two, God's made a universe where he can be known, mm-hmm. right? Um, God himself is the greatest truth to be known. He, he is not hidden himself in a mystery, inscrutable and frustrating. Uh, he's made mankind in his image and likeness so that we might actually truly, truly know him. Mm. Which brings us to a third thing, that God reveals himself and reveals the truth in various ways of knowing. Right. So we, we got a number <coughs> of conduits, um, sources of data into uh, knowing and declaring the truth. Number one, of course, is general revelation. Think there of Psalm 19, mm-hmm. universe declares the glory of God. Think of Romans 1, 18 and 32. We know that God exists by the things that he's made, right? Uh, think of so special revelation. So not Psalm 19, but Psalm 119 um, or John 17. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, um, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth, mm-hmm. right? Um, so not only do we have the book of nature, but we got the book of scripture, Three, Jesus himself, John 1, um, Jesus tabernacles among us. He incarnates. He, he is grace and truth. Or Hebrews 1, God has spoken to us in various ways through prophets and visions and so on. Mm-hmm. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So Jesus becomes the apex of God's revelation of himself, mm-hmm. the apex of God's statement of truth in the world. Mm-hmm. Um but then also faith is a way of knowing, right? So Hebrews Hebrews tells us that faith is evidence of things we hope for. Um, so there are rational ways of knowing. Uh, there are faith-based ways of knowing. Um, and, and these things are, are, are sort of, I think, meant to be sort of held together uh, mm-hmm. as, as how we know, how we come to make statements of, of knowledge and truth. Uh, the fourth thing I would say then is is that God's truth, this goes back to your, your comment about the public square, God's truth is meant to make contact with mm-hmm. agnostic, atheistic, and relativistic peoples and cultures. 
Uh, we see this through the Bible. So, so truth is not meant just simply to be stored up in one individual head. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it makes contact with agnostic cultures in Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. Paul comes along and sees the monument dedicated to an unknown God. Mm-hmm. He says, let me declare to you who this God is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes contact with atheistic assumptions. Mm-hmm. 14th Psalm, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and relativistic cultures. So you, mm-hmm. John 18, where Pilate asks the question, what is true? Mm-hmm. Right? That's probably the question of our age, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Christian people, we ought to be concerned with knowing through the various ways we've been given to know and declaring the truth in these contexts. Because ultimately, number five, God wants truth to dwell in us. Mm -hmm. Um, In one sense, that's the division of mankind. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he punishes or rejects those in whom the truth does not dwell. Psalm 5, verse 9, For there is no truth in their mouth, their inmost self is destruction, their throat is an open grave, they flatter with the tongue. Paul quotes that uh, in Romans 2. But the opposite is true. God delights in those uh, in whom he finds truth. So mm-hmm. Psalm 51, verse 6, Behold, your delight in, you, you delight in truth in the inward being, mm-hmm. and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Uh, so truth is something that's meant to live in us. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something that God delights in. Uh, and so giving ourselves to knowing uh, by an accurate apprehension of the facts mm. um, and the development of summative statements that explains the, the bulk of the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and knowing via, again, natural observation, knowing via scripture and revelation, mm-hmm. knowing via faith. Um, these are things that, that we are meant to do as Christians uh, so that we might take the truth to the world. Yeah, amen, amen. So a, as you say, a discernible word, world, a discoverable world, mm-hmm. a world in whose facts we can trust, a world, therefore, by the way, that is the, um, you know, supports the scientific method mm-hmm. in that regard. Like mm-hmm. the idea of testing, looking at the evidence, seeing what it says, and then forming sort That's of right. theories based on that, based That's on right. the facts. Um, so if I think about sort of the environment we live in today, we've begun to hint at this, but what are the biggest risks to that vision, to sort of a common understanding of facts and truth, and to Christians sort of being productive contributors to that? I think, I, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but the first thing I, I think of is when you're rooting your idea of what is true and what is not in something other than God's word, you're going to have problems, particularly as a Christian, right? So what am I getting at? Like, So if I'm a conservative who thinks the conservative platform is correct because Christians are conservative and that's all she wrote, instead of having my Bible open and evaluating um, public policy propositions or Hmm. um, anything of that sort, uh, I'm disordered, right? So Mm -hmm. I I think we are unreliable narrators, unreliable interpreters of reality, and so we've got to rely on God's word, which is ultimately reliable. And so as we think through any political position, um, Mm. I think you start with God's word instead instead of, you know, my other identity markers, whatever they may be. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I, the word has to have the, the place of authority, right? Um, again, thinking of John 17, Jesus says, you know, sanctify them in the truth. 
thy word is truth. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say sanctify them in the science, in science. It doesn't say sanctify them in legal theory or case law, uh, but points us back ultimately to God's words. So I think that's absolutely right. In the context we're in, though, right, uh, I do think as, as uh, people trying to communicate a vision of the good life and engage people mm. and win people to the truth, I do think we, we ought to make um, joyful use of other ways of knowing, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from the, the hard or natural sciences to the social sciences to um, journalistic method, right? Yeah. Um, such as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or legal inquiry, right? Mm-hmm. It's just about discovery. Sure. Um, I do think we ought to be people who, who grow skills in that area and are comfortable in that area because often we're going to be engaging with people who do not share our mm-hmm. our convictions about the Bible yep. um, or or believe the Bible should have the, the, the sort of place that we assign it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the final <laughs> arbiter of truth. And I mean, we give up the Bible. That mm-hmm. means we don't bring the Bible in the public square. It just means that we're actually the people who have the most tools, mm-hmm. right, if we will avail ourselves of them. Uh, and, and I think we should use them. Do you see any principles in Scripture for evaluating, you know, what really happened? Or like, so apply it to journalism. Like, what do you do? You see anything in Scripture of of trying to, you know, after the fact, discern what has happened in a certain situation? I'm putting you on the spot. No, that's good. Um, you know, I, I think of texts, First uh, Timothy five, where Paul's talking about bringing charges against an elder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's pulling from the law. Mm-hmm. Let everything be established by two or three witnesses. Uh, so the idea of witnesses is replete through the scripture. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we should be people who are not only bearing witness, but calling upon witnesses uh, in the, the discovery and the establishment of, of fact. Um, I, I think you think of Paul in Crete, uh, where he appeals to the Cretan philosophers in description of the... His testimony the, is true. That's right, that's right. So he, yeah. he is there using a secular source yeah. that he finds to correspond with his own observations about the Cretan people, mm-hmm. uh, and he calls forth that source as, as um, testimony, authentication mm-hmm. uh, of, of that. Uh, so that would be something, again, 1 Corinthians 9, is 1 Corinthians 9? Uh, or 2 Corinthians 9, forgetting right now but when when he when paul is uh first Corinthians now becoming all things to all people mm-hmm. right that he might win some mm-hmm. um that's that's he's telling us something about his ability to flex there particularly with regard to his own identity uh in order to make contact with other cultures in order to win them to the gospel uh i think we want something of that methodology um and that ability and our sort of connection with people uh, in this arena. So if I'm talking to a secular, atheist, um, conservative Republican, mm. um, then I want to become as a conservative Republican <laughs> who understands secular atheism right. in order to make contact with him in order to then make the arguments of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, so that was, those would be some of the things off the top of my head. Yeah, and I think that, that's what I was getting at. There's two. There's two things. I this m- might be the teeniest bit of stretches, but there's two things I see there. One, witnesses, right? So you you hit that. But two, it's like primary sources. Mm-hmm. If you want to mm-hmm. use that language, that's right. right? So good historical method, good right. journalism. The way the make, Book of Luke was written. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're you're gonna go to the people who saw it and and hear their testimony of what they saw. And I think yep. that that there's a lot of opinion journalism 
today sure. that is reporting on another reporter's report. Like they have yeah, no yeah, yeah, firsthand sure. knowledge sure. of what's happening, that's <clears throat> and that's that's problematic. I think. I'll say one other thing biblically. I, I thought as I was preparing this this one about a lot about John eighteen and Pilate asking what is truth because mm. if you if you if you pull the surrounding context there, it's essentially a trial, mm-hmm. right? That's right where there's no evidence against Jesus. That's right. There are a bunch of baseless accusations, right. Mm-hmm. right? Pilate, immediately before that, says, I find that the That's facts right. seem to say that I find no basis, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when he asks what is truth, when, when, you know, when Jesus sort of appeals to him on the basis of truth, and he says what is truth, what he's essentially saying is, um, that is not the core principle that is guiding me in my judgment right now. Mm. There's a mob shouting outside my door <laughs> for your blood, mm-hmm. and I think I'm going to give it to them because it's going to make my job easier, <laughs> you know, for the next few weeks. Really? I, that's interesting. So I know, that's my interpretation. You don't, think, you don't my... think it was a genuine question? Like, do you think he was actually asking? Well, or I, he... well I guess put this it this way. This is not germane no, 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 at I, all. all. All I'm saying is I, I think there's something there around like, well, what is truth? I, I mean, you know, like you're, you're, you're telling me like it's like, you know, this is that that's your idea of what this is. Hmm. Right. But like I don't need to. I, that's not what I actually need to worry about here. Yeah. I do think Pilate is opting for a political expedience mm-hmm. in substitution of actual principle. Because you're right. He has already said, mm-hmm. I find no fault in this man. And yet when he's having this conversation with Jesus about what's true, here's a guy who is stuck between uh, a mob demanding Jesus' head on threat of telling Caesar, Pilate, if you let this man go, you're not not loyal to Caesar. So he's Mm -hmm. he's facing a charge of sedition himself. Uh, And and rather than say, no, actually, let me take my stand here on principle, uh, he he opts for let me give the crowd what they want. Um, I feel like what is truth is almost an excuse for him. Yeah, he's like, really, is there any way of that's, knowing? That's really interesting. There's two people. So ultimately, yeah, the choice he makes is clearly political expediency. So that that's true. I always felt I always read his question, "What is truth?" as a genuine question because I'm forgetting the reference, but where he sought to free Jesus from that point on, but obviously he ends up being politically expedient. So. Because of that, I always huh. read that question as a legitimate like. Oh, my, I'm interested. Like, I don't know what what is true. Like, I thought it was an his, act, his actions immediately after that kind of belie that that's what's going on, right? Yeah. Like, I think so. I guess my point is the the parallel I drew in my head yeah. was to the politician today, sure, who has the choice between acting. Um, on the basis of principle, we had an episode about impeachment and about how. I mean, to yeah. be to be to be to be sympathetic. To a person who's like a like a Republican senator voting on impeachment, for example, whose political motives push them in one direction, and for whom the facts may push them in another direction, mm-hmm. right? That's a similar rock and a hard place sort of situation, yep. right? And so I have sympathy. I was I have sympathy for that actually, right? Like, but what I guess I'd say then is um, one possible way of papering that over is to say, well, who really is to say? Who knows? Sure, right? You know, there's all this information out there. How can I even believe these witnesses that were at this whatever to, to to sort of say, I have no real way of knowing anything, is actually a more popular posture today. It is right, and I yeah. think we need to recognize it for the guile that it is. I think we need to mm-hmm. recognize it for the the lack of integrity um, mm-hmm. that it is. Because I, I you know, I, I grew up as a Christian hearing Pilate being read as a sort of test case postmodernist. 
right? Huh. You know what is true, and people yeah. go into their whole sort of anti-postmodern. <laughs> I don't think I don't think pilot is doing it at all, mm. right? Um, and I don't think he's a a sort of seeker. I don't think he's an inquirer. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of saying, "Hey, tell me, tell me what the truth really is." I, I really want to know. Um, no, I just think he's in this position of of expediency and taking the sort of uh, posture. Mm. That that allows him that allows him to escape the noose in that situation rather than you know mm-hmm. stand and and suffer whatever and and you see this I mean you, I think you're absolutely right Nick I think you see this in people who are reading the tea leaves uh, with polls uh, and thinking about what their base is going to think if they take this or that position relative to an issue or another politician rather than saying this is actually what I have discovered of the facts yeah right. This, I think, is the best statement of truth that I can make. Hmm. Here I stand, so help me God. Truth is whatever my voters think the yeah. truth is. Well, yes, or right? whatever my viewers want to watch. Yeah, right. But, what's that What's that line from, uh, you know, that episode of The West Wing? Be careful, otherwise you'll be like the French revolutionary who says, there go my people, I must run up ahead of them that I may lead them. Hmm. hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah. at their worst, right, that's what yeah. politicians are. <laughs> yeah. My truth is just determined by what my people think. Yeah. yeah. Now this 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 creates a, a a responsibility for us, I think, as Christians, in, engaging our politicians, engaging our journalists, and things of that sort. Man, we don't want to be a part of the continuing dynamic of rewarding that kind of that kind of posturing and that kind of hmm. um, acting from our political leaders. Um, so we 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 need to be careful of heaping to ourselves uh, with itching ears politicians who tell us what we want to hear. Mm. And we need to be careful of rewarding them for doing that. Uh, and we need to be careful to be truth people, you know, even when the truth is, and maybe especially when the truth is inconvenient for our own positions, mm. you know, how, otherwise we never escape this dynamic. And how do we get better at uncovering the facts in a sort of information saturated environment? Ben? <laughs> I have no, well, so I, to reiterate what I said before, like, going to primary sources, hearing witnesses. I think that stuff still holds true in our digital age. There's a, there's a challenge. Like I, I said this at the outset, but the sheer volume of stuff that is coming at you is hard to sort through. So, you know, my own experience, what I used to do is I used to read lefty and righty and then something, you know, centrist stuff and try and discern what is real uh, out of those three things. But, Anecdotally, over the past 10 years, um, the the lefty and righty accounts are so directly contradictory that it's really difficult to know like who is actually telling the truth and who is not. Um, and, you know, and there's just so many pieces of articles, so much viewpoint that's injected into that that it can be overwhelming. And the other thing that we haven't really talked about but Maybe I'm just we're just more aware of it now. Maybe not, but the the sheer number of corrections that major media outlets are running at this point, if if they are ethical enough to run a correction, uh, it seems to be increasing. And so that you know, Vox, which is an outlet I read frequently because it's a more progressively minded outlet and and kind of can be a counterbalance to where I'm naturally inclined to go. Like they famously report inaccurately on Israel, like all the time they once said there's a bridge connecting the west bank and gaza and so and that's not to knock <laughs> vox too hard because every paper has this stuff right but 
the sheer number of errors, uh, <laughs> the fact that we react in real time on Twitter when you, you know as soon as this is tragic, but when a shooting happens, those first details that come out are always wrong, mm. almost always. Same thing with a terrorist strike. Like we're we're gonna learn. Like we always react, and so there's just so much different disinformation or incorrect stuff that comes out at the beginning that it's it's. I'll be honest, it's a challenge for me to know what is what is more accurate than not. Yeah, I, you, I've certainly had to learn my lesson in the last couple of years about um, the speed of information and, and the, mm-hmm. the veracity of, of claims mm-hmm. um, via the, the typical the outlets that sort of dominate right now. So I think part of what I want to say, uh, in answer to your question, Nick, mm-hmm. uh, how do we know the facts and, and therefore what's true? Um, first, read Mortimer Adler's book. I think it's Mortimer Adler, How to Read a Book. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know yeah. that one. Um, oh. Classic. How, How to, to read, read a book. book. One one of the things you, we all always ought to be asking ourselves as readers or consumers of journalism is, how does the author know what he, he knows. what he knows? Mm-hmm. Right. So we we're just facing a thousand claims. One filter we ought to always have is how how do they know that? that that's that's the question that points you back to evidence and facts. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you discover that there's no there there, mm-hmm. I think you can dispense with you know, all of the noise because mm-hmm. uh, that's what you're looking for in the first order sort of facts. Um, the other thing I would encourage is, uh, and Nick, I learned this from you, oh. um, slow things down. Read read long form reads mm-hmm. rather than the hot takes mm-hmm. and, and the quick things. Uh, read periodicals that are not dailies uh, or not trying to manically keep a website up to date because uh, usually what that means is there's going to be uh, a, another level of review Another yes, level of point. justification or, or authentication of facts. It's just going to be a more thorough and and less. We were talking about this earlier, Ben, and less kind of emotion provoking mm. piece of journalism. Um, so don't read the dailies, or if you do, make sure you add to it the the monthlies and the and the weeklies and the um, the slower pace of journalism where. There's harder work at the facts. Find find those outlets um, as well. And then I, I would underscore what Ben was saying a moment ago. It's a great illustration from his own life. Definitely listen to some um, news outlets that don't that aren't in your tribe that don't mm-hmm. share your point of view. So you so you, what we are thinking can be cross examined uh, by other reports. You mentioned Vox. I think it was Vox. Someone at Vox uh, recently who, um, if I can move the sports journalism for a moment hmm. Stephen A. Smith at ESPN was going in on Colin Kaepernick about the recent workout that Kaepernick had and you know Stephen A. is like he doesn't want to be in the league you know he should have signed this waiver uh, all this good stuff it was a horrible waiver yeah. uh, and folks who were doing more careful analysis um, came back and just sort of said nope actually let's walk through the waiver let's walk through these things hmm. um, and I think made Stephen A. again to look like a bit of a, a hot air buffoon, not just balloon, but buffoon <laughs> uh, on this point. Um, and it was the case of someone from a different point of view mm-hmm. actually interrogating the claims mm. and giving the evidence. And we just, I think we need more of that in our lives. In fact, sports journalism might be the last sort of bastion of journalism where the data, the facts, the, the yeah. stats matter. And that's how you make your argument. Uh, about who's the greatest this or who's the best team at that, you know, you, you run the analytics. Yeah. Uh, we need more of that in our in our political it's, news. Sports 
sports journalism is interesting because that's true, but the people who make the most money are Stephen A. That's and right. uh, uh, Skip Bayless, right? But, but they bring their facts. I mean, you don't always agree with their facts, and they're, uh, not, they're not always talking about facts. They got strong opinions. Yes. Stephen A. has never seen an opinion he didn't want to have, that's right? right? And, uh-huh. so, right. Um, and so, yeah. But All right. So, so, so practical suggestions here then, right? Like, mm. uh, Because I actually do think that is part of the answer that I'm hearing, which is there's a lot of stuff. Part of your discernment is about deciding who you're going to trust. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so just kind of, there are a few people, a few fi- either figures or figures that you might follow on a Twitter or um, publications that you think are going to sort of generally slow things down. It or like, so let's just give our listeners sort of a list of our favorites. So you, you mentioned Vox on the left, which mm-hmm. I also read Vox uh, as a guy on the left, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be, well, they're, they're good on explanatory journalism. Um, and, and clearly their perspective is on the left. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what do I read? David French, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a conservative. <clears throat> I'm sure he'd call him. He's probably a classic fusionist, right? Like free market guy with mm-hmm. um, original constitutionalist leanings. Mm-hmm. Um, Operates in good faith. Operates in good, is a Christian. Yep. Um, and and a faithful one. So that that you know. Yeah, you have, you have a list a of bit. unfaithful Christians that you follow, uh, Ben. <laughs> We're not going to name those names on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's one. Um, I will read the New York Times for foreign. The failing New York Times? (laughs) I will read it for foreign coverage in particular. Yeah, sure. That makes Um, sense. It's less true now. But but for years, in terms of international coverage, they were par excellence, the the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Economist. The Economist. That's on my list as well. Love. Weekly. Love quite a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Um, and what I don't recommend is something I do too much is is Twitter for news. They'll tell you all the journalists are there, and that's true, but it's not it's not a great place. The reason I mention that though is that there are a couple of journalists where you go, huh? This person is just so committed. So the uh, pr- the person I keep thinking about is John Dickerson, like who, who's on CBS. Before that, he was at Slate. But like I've just I've listened to him on podcasts before. What you get is a sense of a person who studiously actually tries to hide whatever his political views are. Um, and is just kind of committed to that old school journalistic ethos. Yeah, but it's so, for Slate. Well, but that was <laughs> that was actually it was Slate ten years ago. Okay. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's so it, it, anyway. It's a like different. it is a little different now. So like my point is that like you yeah. you have to literally go case by case, right? Yeah. Like hey, actually when I hear it from this person that matters to me. When I hear it from David French or David Frum, as it were, right? Like in terms of like kind of lapsed conservatives or whatever you want to call I them. I didn't name the lapsed. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's, he, I follow him, right? Like for yeah. for for various reasons. Thibidi, any others from you? Uh, two, uh, just two or three thoughts. Not not in terms of recommendations. I, I think the things you guys are recommending are great. But I, I had a good friend tell me once that I'm like a 19th century gentleman stuck in the internet you. world. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. So he was it was his way of. Telling I don't know. Me your that, your 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 Twitter game is a lot better than my well, Twitter game. That's for know. dang sure. But yeah, his, it was right. <laughs> it was his way of telling me he didn't think that that Twitter fit my character, yeah, my basic enough. disposition. Yeah, sure. So I realized something. Again, this, we were talking about this earlier, Ben. I realized something a couple of years ago that I just had too many inputs into my heart mm-hmm. via mm-hmm. social media, mm-hmm. too many voices, unscreened, uh, yeah. unexamined, that were inciting too many things mm-hmm. in terms of my emotional reaction. So the last couple of years, uh, I actually consume very little news. Mm. I don't, I don't, I'm not consider myself a big news guy anyway. Um, but that's been helpful for me, <clears throat> and still things get through. Yeah, sure. To me, that are that are useful. Um, 
I, I have a pastor friend who who tunes into PBS NewsHour every mm-hmm. night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's part of his, his diet. So maybe that's a, a recommendation for folks as opposed mm-hmm. to the sensationalism of sure. the other networks. Um, and if I'm if I'm if I'm dropping what other sort of Twitter follow yeah. for me, and he's been this way for years for me, uh, not always sort of political news, but just general things I think are edifying, helpful. I love following Justin Taylor. Hmm. Yeah, yeah Justin's one. just like a warehouse man. He's just sort of mm. passing along good yeah, stuff, good. and um, and from time to time, it's something political that he passes along. But it's a much wider field of things, mm. um, and that that serves me. And in the world of primary source documents, for narrowly, like literally, politics and government thing, you can't beat C-SPAN. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. You yeah, want to you want you want to watch the impeachment hearings? You want to like can. watch what Congress is doing? Get it all. C-SPAN. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just right there. They it's just point the camera. In the wrong. That's about it. Yeah. That's it. No so, commentary. They're it's all the true. callers. People call in, but those are that's, people calling that's in when they're not showing the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Those, yeah. those folks have some opinions. Yeah. So. Yes, they do. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, any any last advice for the Christian navigating the world of finding facts, finding reality? No. I, m- move slow. <laughs> move slow. I think that's where I am. I, I, mm. Things are discoverable. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and so believe that, um, yeah. and take a certain joy in knowing, mm-hmm. uh, and um, being fully convinced in your own mind, as Paul yeah. says in Romans fourteen. So there's a sense in which the the main person to persuade is yourself, mm-hmm. not not other people, <laughs> to to shape your conscience by the word of God, and and by truth. Um, so take joy in that. God delights when we have truth in the inmost being. So see that not as some burdensome quest to find a, a, a long lost holy grail, uh, but see that as part of your sanctification and part of what pleases God mm. and take joy in that. I have one more, and it's yeah. also brief. Uh, be ready to change your mind. Mm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Like if, you, if new data reveals something that contradicts a position you held, be, co- be comfortable changing that position. Amen. This is a famous Nelson Mandela quote because he said, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and I think it's important. It's a yeah. Great line. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll just, as since we're wrapping up the season with this, I'll come back to the name of our, pol- our podcast, right? Prophetic Politics. Mm. And I guess what I'd say is prophetic implies that you stand wherever the truth is. That's right whatever the cost or the consequence would be right that's what our prophets did it's what we're supposed to do that's right and i think in our current era um there is a tendency for there is a temptation to throw up your hands and be like Pilate and say what is truth Mm -hmm. you know lol nothing matters is the is the modern day Mm -hmm. what is truth right and i think that uh because of who's currently president and because Part of his shtick is like around just let's flood the zone with lots of information, lots of information that is or isn't true. Um, you know, one side of the debate is particularly susceptible to that argument right now. It could change tomorrow, right? But my point is that we need to say no. Actually, even if you support the guy, you're still committed to truth, mm. and you're still committed to sort of having your own independent judgment about whatever the thing of the day is. Mm. Uh, independent of you, you, two things can be true at once. You can sort of be politically supportive of a figure, and you can also disagree with that person when the facts demand it. Mm. Right? That's what being prophetic is. Amen. And so I think that would be my last exhortation to us. Amen. It's a good one to close on. All right. Amen. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. 
Father, indeed, we pray that you would give us a prophetic spirit. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would cause us to take our stand uh, with the evidence, with facts. Uh, you would help us to arrive at uh, accurate summation of reality. And um, believing the truth, we pray that you would help us to proclaim it as well. Uh, we, we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that you have brought us to the Father through faith in you. And we pray that you would do it for many, many more as you send us into the world um, to, to, to bear witness uh, to truth and to do so graciously. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.